This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Well, hello there, friends. It's Jeremy Myers, and you are listening to the One Verse Podcast. Listen, if I were to talk to you about taking up the helmet of salvation, what is it that you would think of? Most likely, you would think of uh, forgiveness of sins, escaping hell, going to heaven when you die, eternal life, justification, something along those lines, right? And then, uh, so that's what you think of when you think of salvation and the helmet of salvation. Well, we're going to see today as we look at Ephesians 6.17 that that is not what Paul had in mind. He's referring to something entirely different. So join us for our study of that today. I do want to let you know, by the way, if you enjoy these podcasts then um, and my other studies and resources that I have available for you at redeeminggod.com, then you might like to get my discipleship emails. They are completely free, 100% free. And just go to my site, redeeminggod.com, put in your first name and email address at the top, of every single page or at the bottom of every single post. All right, and I will immediately start sending those to you. Now, if you're part of my discipleship group, you do not need to do that because you are already getting all of that information and a whole lot more inside the discipleship group, okay? These are just some free emails for people who might want to get them from me. Some of my uh, insights and teachings and ideas that I have taught over the last 15 to 20 years of teaching online, okay? So um, get those at redeeminggod.com. Now, with all of that in view, let us get into our study of the helmet of salvation out of Ephesians 6.17. All right, so we're getting into our study of the Helmet of Salvation in Ephesians 6, 17a. We're nearing the end of this study on the armor of God, at least the pieces of the armor, where there will be some final concluding uh, lessons as well as we get into verses 18 and following, 18 through 20. Uh, but this is the uh, Helmet of Salvation. And if you probably have heard people say that you are what you eat. But I have found, and it is true, that a it is a, a, a truer statement to say that you are what you think. Few of us recognize the significance of our thoughts. Uh, our thoughts guide our lives. They control how we view our world, how we interact with our world, how they our thoughts shape our future. They they create our destinies, and uh, none of this happens in a magical way, or you know through the 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 much discussed, often mocked power of positive thinking, okay? Rather, it is a basic principle of human psychology. If you've ever been to a counselor or a therapist or psychologist, they will likely tell you at some point in your session that our thoughts create our emotions and our emotions lead us to certain behaviors and actions. So our actions and behaviors are determined by how we think, all right? Um, and then, so what that means, therefore, is that if we want to change how we behave, what we do in life, then we begin by changing how we think, All right? How we think determines our emotions, which then determines our actions and behavior. So what this means, if there's a destructive habit in your life, 
that you wish to change, a negative behavior that you want to get rid of, maybe an addiction or something, right? The very first step in changing that is start to think about things in a new way, develop different thought patterns, and these will lead to different emotions, which in turn will lead to new actions and behavior. Now, I've been talking about psychology, but guess what? This is not simply something that psychologists have discovered. This is a principle that is taught everywhere in Scripture. For example, Paul writes in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we can begin to transform our lives so that we can be and do what God wants. How? By the renewal of our minds. In other words... As we learn to think differently about God, about ourselves, about others, about what the Bible teaches about this world, as we learn to think differently about all those things, that leads us to live differently as well. All right, this is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, to take every thought captive, making it obedient to Jesus Christ. In other words, as we learn to control our thinking, as we learn to conform our thought patterns to the image and likeness and behavior of Jesus Christ, then our lives will change as a result, and we will become more like Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.8, Paul tells his readers to think on whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, right, praiseworthy. Why? So that, as he said in Philippians 4.7 and in verse 9, on either side of verse 4, I mean, either side of verse 8, we, we change our thinking so that we can experience peace with God and with others, right? All of that begins with how we change our thinking. And this is the idea we come to in Ephesians 6.17 with the fifth piece of spiritual armor, all right, the helmet of salvation. Now, we've already talked about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sandals of the gospel, the shield of faith, and we will be concluding the armor of God studies next week or next lesson with the sword of the spirit. But this is the fifth piece, which is the helmet of salvation. And we are going to discuss this piece just like we've discussed all of them. We're first going to look at how this piece of armor worked for the Roman soldier in Paul's day. Then we will look at how uh, it works for us as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. And then thirdly and finally, we will look at how we can take it up and put it on. All right, so let's begin with how the helmet worked for the Roman soldier. So the Roman soldiers had the best helmets in the ancient world. Many uh, other uh, armies and soldiers of other countries and so on uh, basically just used uh, uh, wrappings of cloth or leather or even animal bones or hooves, which they would then, you know, wrap and layer around their head as a a, a bit of a protection against swords and so on, okay? But the the Roman helmet was used out of metal, made out of metal. It often had a chin strap, a visor, and it was designed not only to protect the top of the head, but also often down in the cheekbone area and the back of the head, the sides and back of the neck as well. The, the, um, Helmets in Paul's day were usually made from heavy bronze or iron, and uh, they would often, soldiers would often pack 
their helmets with some sort of cloth or padding so that it would make them a little more comfortable sitting on their head. You just don't want this this metal sitting straight on your head. It would get very uncomfortable with their hikes. I'm, I'm sorry, their marches and in battle. So they would they would uh, fill them with padding of some sort to make them more comfortable. Now, uh, soldiers, uh, higher ranking officers might have helmets that were plated with gold or silver. And many helmets also sported large colored crests of feathers or plumes of some sort. Maybe they were made from horsehair. And these were often used to signify rank or to show identification with a particular legion. Uh, But most archaeological evidence suggests the decorations were not used in battle. Obviously, if you were a soldier of high rank, then maybe you don't want to stand out in battle. Usually, these plumes were only for military parades and celebrations. Pretty often, there was a little ring attached to the top of the helmet, and this allowed the soldier to fix the helmet to his belt or his backpack when marching. You wouldn't want this hot helmet on your head when you're doing a forced march of 20 miles or more in the hot Middle Eastern sun. So they would take that ring, it would allow them to attach it to their belt or more ideally to their to their backpack as they're marching. And uh, the plume also could attach to this ring and so on, um, but uh, that that's how that worked. Now, obviously, what purpose did the helmet serve? Well, <laughs> uh, just as any helmet today... The helmet for the Roman soldier, it protected their head. Now you think about why people wear helmets today. Helmets today are used by construction workers, for example, to protect them from falling objects. It's football season here in the United States. And so football players wear helmets to protect their heads from clashes on the football field. Uh, Motorcycle riders wear helmets, or at least you're supposed to in many states, to protect their heads in case they get in an accident. So obviously, what does a Roman soldier's helmet do? Well, it protects their head. From what? From damage that could come to their head from arrows, swords, rocks, and so on that might come up on them uh, on the field of battle. So uh, we would say then that the soldier's helmet was the last line of defense, not the first line. Remember when we talked about the shield, it was also called the door, and you couldn't get to the soldier unless you got past the door, past the shield. The shield, then, was the first line of defense, right? And if the shield is the first line, the soldier is the last line, right? Uh, It's like if, everything, if, if the enemy arrows and swords and spears get past your shield and get past the protection of deflecting it with your sword, uh, then, you know, the helmet is there to protect you in that case, in that sense. Even if you have your helmet on, nobody's going to go out into battle sticking their helmet out in their head out in harm's way because I've got my helmet on. No. (laughs) Okay. Uh, The helmet is there so that if you get hit in the head, nobody wants to get hit in the head, even wearing your helmet. If you get hit in the head, it will protect you from greater damage. Okay. Uh, After all, it's much better to get a dent on your helmet than it is to get an arrow or a sword stuck through your head. All right, so it's there to protect your head. Now, uh, why is it so important to protect your head? Well, again, so basic. We all understand this. We must protect the head because that's where the brain is. 
All right. Uh, your brain controls all of your bodily motor functions, your ability to speak, your ability to hear, your ability to see, even your ability to live. If your brain gets severely damaged, obviously you die. But uh, even with lesser forms of damage, you can get a concussion, which makes you, or a go into a coma, which makes you uh, unable to properly function in the right way. But even with lesser forms of damage, you can lose your vision, you can lose your ability to speak, you can lose your ability to hear, uh, and, and, and so on. Okay, so uh, the the really the brain is like the central uh, operating system of the body. All right, and so the helmet protects all of those operations. The helmet protects your brain so that the body, the rest of the body, can continue to function. Okay, so that is how the helmet worked for the Roman soldier, and I think it's pretty obvious because we all have experience with helmets. All right, so how then does the helmet work for the Christian? Well, Paul says in Ephesians 6.17, he compares the helmet to salvation. All right, but what is salvation? What is salvation? Now, when most Christians hear the word salvation, they think of having their sins forgiven so they can escape hell, go to heaven when they die, receive eternal life, be justified, something along those terms, okay? But let me tell you something, and you already know this if you're part of my discipleship group, or if you've been listening to my podcast, or read some of my books, or anything on my website for any length of time. Salvation in the Bible does not refer to going to heaven when you die. All right? I would argue that the word salvation, and similar words like saved or savior, uh, is one of the most misunderstood understood terms, misunderstood words in the entire Bible. Most Christians, when they say, well, have you been saved? Or you need to, you know, uh, go to Jesus to be saved. Okay, they are completely misusing the word saved, at least in, in the way it is used in the Bible. All right? Uh, there is not, I claim and I teach and I have t- written elsewhere, that there is not a single passage in the Bible, not one verse, which clearly equates the word salvation or saved with gaining eternal life and going to heaven when you die. Now, you might be thinking of a few, what about Ephesians 2.8.9 or something, okay? Uh, Well, in the context, we see that the word saved or salvation means something entirely different than receiving eternal life and going to heaven when you die. I argue that there is not a single verse in the Bible where the word salvation means that. Um, and, and I have some articles on my site. Look, Google uh, salvation or saved, the most misunderstood word in the Bible, and you'll find my article on that. Um, or you can all link to it in the uh, in the notes for this for this lesson as well. And by the way, if you're in my discipleship group, uh, the Gospel Dictionary online course will eventually have an entry for the word salvation, and I will look at multiple texts. Uh, that use the word saved or salvation to define them as well. But for the purpose of this study here, what does the word salvation mean? Well, I teach and I write every time I teach, and thus I say, look, every time you see the word saved or salvation in the Bible, what you need to do is take that word out and substitute in a different word, the word deliverance or delivered. And then 
because that doesn't carry the same baggage that the word salvation does, the word delivered or deliverance. And then uh, look in the context. What are the five rules of Bible study? Context, 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 context. Look in the context to determine what kind of deliverance is in view. All right? So uh, when you do this, you see that the word salvation or deliverance in the Bible, uh, you can be delivered from all sorts of different things. You can be delivered from your enemies. You can be delivered from uh, uh, sickness. You can be delivered from premature physical death. You can be delivered from the devastating and damaging consequences of sin in your life now. There's all sorts of things you can be delivered from. Okay, but never does the word salvation refer to going to heaven when you die. For example, let me give you an example. In Mark 4, the disciples are on a boat in the Sea of Galilee, and a great storm comes upon them, and they cry out to Jesus. They say, Lord, save us. Now, are they saying, Jesus, forgive us our sins so we can go to heaven when we die? (laughs) No, they are not. They're saying, Jesus, we are going to drown in this storm if you don't deliver us from it. So, Lord, deliver us from drowning in the the sea. They want to be delivered from the storm. They don't want to drown. You can do that with all—now, that's an obvious one, uh, but all uses of the word save, salvation in the Bible are similar. So, when we come here to Ephesians 6.17, then, what does the word salvation mean? Well, what do we do? You take the word salvation out. You substitute in the word deliverance, helmet of deliverance, and then we look in the context to discover what kind of deliverance is in view. When we do this, uh, now you're going to look in the immediate context first. And right prior to this, before Paul started talking about the armor of God, the various pieces of the armor, he warned us about a struggle we are in. And he told us that we are not struggling against other human beings, but we are struggling against spiritual forces of wickedness. And he listed them in Ephesians 6, 11 and 12. So when he comes now to 17 and says the helmet of salvation, the helmet of deliverance, and we look in the context to see what we're supposed to be delivered from, what is it we're supposed to be delivered from? These these spiritual forces, they're evil schemes. And remember, when we studied those, we saw that one of the things they do is lie to us. The, The spiritual forces of wickedness tell us lies about ourselves, about God, about our role in this world, about what God thinks of us, of us. They lie to us about how we're supposed to think about other people and treat other people. All right? So the helmet as it's protecting our head and our thoughts, the helmet is protecting uh, us from these lies, these deceptions of the spiritual forces of wickedness. The helmet of deliverance, the helmet of salvation protects our minds, our thoughts, our will, our emotions from the wiles of the devil, from the evil plans of the principalities and powers of this age. Now that's the immediate context. But if we were to even broaden the context and look throughout the entire letter of Ephesians, where Paul elsewhere talks about salvation or being saved or delivered, uh, we would see that whenever he is talking about salvation, for example, in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, 
We also see there that in the context, he is referring to the prince of the power of the air, the evil schemes of the wicked one, and so on, which is out to destroy and deceive us in this world. For example, in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, he warns us about this, the prince of the power of the air. And then after that, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, about the deliverance, the salvation we have by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, so even back in Ephesians chapter 2, okay, the context reveals that it is being delivered, deliverance from the, the, the wiles of the devil, the deceptions, the ways of wickedness and lies that the devil has spread throughout this world about us, about God, about how we're supposed to treat other people. All right. So if I were to equate salvation in Hebrews, I would say, I'm sorry, in Ephesians, I would say that it obviously it is not about going to heaven when you die. Uh, the word salvation is about living at peace with other people in this world, not giving in to the deceptions and lies of the devil and the evil forces, but instead realizing the truth about other people and about ourselves, and about God, and about how we are supposed to treat other people, just as Jesus, God in Jesus, has treated us. All right? And, by the way, this is exactly what Paul goes on to talk about in the rest of Ephesians chapter 2. Right after Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, where he does use the word save and salvation and so on, Paul goes on to talk about what? The racial and religious and cultural divisions and strife that exist between the various people groups, and how all of these have been torn down and done away with through Jesus Christ. And so now, as a result of Jesus tearing down all of these walls of, of division and strife and hostility between people groups, we can now live at peace with one another. Right? So in Jesus, we have seen the truth that, that unlike the lies of the devil, all have been accepted. All are loved. All are forgiven by God. And since that is the truth, revealed by Jesus, one of the many truths, revealed by Jesus on the cross, we can now live at peace with other people as well, rather than at war with them. Like Jesus, we can love and accept rather than condemn and kill. Again, this is completely the opposite of what most people think about others. The greatest deception of the devil in this world is that God hates people who are not like us, right? Those people over there, they're the evil ones because they're, you know, of a different religion or they have sinned so horribly or in some parts of the world, in some stages in history, they're of another race or they're of another political party, okay? God hates them. They are our enemies. They don't look like us. They don't behave like us. They don't believe like us. And so since God hates them, he wants us to condemn them, accuse them, judge them, maybe even go to war with them and kill them. Right? Those are the lies of the devil. And Jesus revealed the truth that none of that is true. God loves, accepts, and forgives all everybody. 
And so we are supposed to live in the same way, okay? We can experience peace with other people. This is the truth in Ephesians chapter 2. This is what Paul has in mind when he writes about salvation in Ephesians chapter 2, and therefore it is what Paul also has in mind when he writes about salvation in Ephesians chapter 6. Both contexts bear this out. So salvation in Ephesians is not about going to heaven when you die, but about living at peace with other people in this life. Salvation in Ephesians is deliverance from the lies and deceptions of the devil that cause hate, cause us to hate, condemn, and kill other people. Okay? Salvation in Ephesians occurs when we change how we view people, how we treat people, how we speak about people, especially those people that we would rather hate. Okay, so that's salvation. What then is the helmet of salvation? Well, again, the lies and deceptions of the devil affect our thoughts, right? And so therefore, the helmet of salvation is changing our thoughts. We no longer think about people as hated by God, condemned by God. That's our old way, the the lying, deceptive way of thinking. Now we change our thoughts to come in conformity with those of Jesus Christ so that we view other people, especially our enemies, as loved and accepted. And so uh, the helmet changes our way of thinking. Helmet protects our head. And by the way, remember, our brain controls our eyes, how we view people, our words, what we say about other people, our ears, what we allow ourselves to hear about other people, and so on, okay? So um, the, the helmet protects all that. And remember, we even said the Roman soldier helmet, it had these metal pieces that came down and protected the sides, protected the ears, protected the neck. It's protecting the whole body, okay? So uh, this is what the helmet of salvation is for the Christian. It is changing our thoughts uh, our way we view people, the way we think about other people, even though how we hear and speak about other people, okay? And so that then helps us understand how to put on the helmet of salvation. How is it then, thirdly and finally, that we put on the helmet of salvation? Well, uh, we put on the helmet of salvation by changing how we think about other people. Really, we need to bring our our minds Uh, into conformity with the mind of Christ, to think about other people and view other people the same way that Jesus does. And how is that? How does Jesus view people? Well, you just have to look at his actions and his behaviors in the gospel to see this. Jesus thought that every person was lovable. Even those that the religious leaders and other people hated— Jesus loved them and accepted them and embraced them and touched them and reached out to them. Jesus thought, as we see in the crucifixion, that every person is worth dying for. Jesus thought that each and every person had unsurpassable worth. Jesus infinitely loved every single person, including, by the way, those who wanted to kill him. Talk about loving your enemies. (laughs) On the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When Jesus thought about people, he never, ever thought about a single person as his enemy. 
Not even Judas, or Herod, or Caesar. Nobody did he think about as his enemy, someone to be condemned and accused and outcast and even killed. No, Jesus did have enemies, but he wasn't their enemy. And those who were seeking to do him harm, he only thought about them as people who were entrapped and and enslaved by the devil, by the lies of the devil, and he sought to rescue and deliver them through love and forgiveness and acceptance and grace and mercy. And now, as we put on the helmet of salvation, Jesus is inviting us to do exactly the same thing. We need to think about people and view people the same way that Jesus does. So rather than judge and condemn people who are different from us, you know, whether it's a different race or religion or political position or different age, or different sex, we need to start thinking about people the way Jesus does, as people of unsurpassable worth, who are worthy of our love and concern. We can, like Jesus, refuse to believe that anyone is our enemy. We can begin to think about people as trapped under the lies and deceptions of the devil. And our job is not to fight against them. Remember, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our job is to rescue and deliver them from their enslavement. So when we put on the helmet of salvation, we begin to think about other people differently. Now, again, as I mentioned, the head also has our eyes and our ears and our mouth. Uh, So it's not just about thinking about other people differently, but it's also seeing other people differently. It's about using our eyes to view other people as uniquely loved and uh, unique people, as beautiful in their own way. Remember, how does God view every people? Does he want clones on this earth so we all act and behave and dress and talk the same? No, God infinitely loves each and every person the way they are with all of their diversity and unique beauty. And God wants each person not to conform and fit in and become like everybody else, but God wants each person to discover who they are, why he made them, what special, unique gifts and talents and abilities he's given to them so they can develop that and become exactly the way he made them to be. In God's eyes, every person is beautiful and amazing to behold, and we can try to learn to view people in that way also. Now, for you and I, by the way, that part of that is learning our gifts and our talents and our desires and abilities, and also our spiritual gifts, which I've written a book on and I have an online course about, which um, you can learn more about at my website, redeeminggod.com. If, again, if you're part of the discipleship group, there's that course available for you as well. Oh, and um, in those discipleship emails I'm sending out, there's a quiz which you can take to learn your, your spiritual gifts. Your spiritual gifts is one of the things that, that makes you unique, and God has gifted you, gifted every person with something unique. So you don't need to look at somebody that you idolize, oh, I wish I'd become like them. God is saying, no, don't become like them, become like you. I made you unique, make you uh, become who I made you to be. So when we look at people with our eyes, we can view them as God views them with eyes of wonder and amazement and diversity, okay? But it's not just our eyes, it's also our mouth, right? What we say and uh, about other people. 
Uh, we can make sure uh, that we only say what is uplifting and encouraging and supportive about other people. The Bible everywhere everywhere warns us about the dangers of the tongue, right? Uh, about speaking negatively about other people. And so, if we are going to be wearing the helmet of salvation, we need to control, we need to watch what comes out of our mouths. We must speak the truth, yes, but in love, Ephesians 4.11, so that people are built up, encouraged, and edified by what we say. We can tell people that they are loved, forgiven, and accepted, not just by God, but by us as well. We can speak words of beauty and praise to other people for what they do, for the good things they accomplish. Right? The words that come out of our mouths are one important way of donning the helmet of salvation. One final thing, though, of course, is what we allow to enter into our brains through our ears. Remember, the helmets, the Roman soldier helmets, had these pieces of metal that came down and protected the sides of their heads, their ears. And so we also can protect what enters into our brains about other people through our ears. How? Well, by not listening to baseless accusations, slander, and gossip about others. We're not going to listen to negative and cutting remarks that one person might say about someone else. If people talk about that, we don't need to condemn or accuse them. We can say, hey, that's, you know, I, we don't need to hear that. We don't need to talk about that. Or you can just walk away. Okay? In this way, we're making sure that the helmet of salvation stays firmly strapped upon our heads. So, in all of these ways and more, this is how we wear the helmet of salvation. Notice it's not about getting forgiveness of sin so you can escape hell, go to heaven when you die, receive eternal life, nothing like that. All right? The helmet of salvation is changing the way we think about ourselves, about God, and about others so that we view them differently, speak about them differently, think about them differently, talk about them differently, even hear things about them differently. We no longer give in to the lies and deceptions of the devil, that we're worthless sinners that God hates. No, all of that is not true. That God wants to kill and condemn those people over there because they don't act like us, talk like us, dress like us, look like us, behave like us. No, that's also a lie. We reject those thoughts. All right? Instead, we learn to think about people, view other people, see other people the way that God sees them, of people of inestimable worth, all right? And, and people who, uh, yes, they're different from us, but that does not mean we shun them or reject them. Instead, we celebrate and rejoice in those differences because each and every person is unique and loved and accepted by God. I think that this is so key for us as Christians and as followers of Jesus. Uh, Edward Gibbon, he wrote a book, he his, was a historian, he wrote a book called The History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. And do you know, he points out in there one of the key things that led to the fall of the Roman Empire. One of these, he said, was the fact that um, the soldiers... Uh, were unable to survive the fatigue of service because they were complaining of the weight of their armor. And finally, they obtained permission to lay some of it aside, in particular, the helmet. Okay? 
They had lack of uh, protection and discipline, and it led to a weaker military force of the Roman uh, Empire, and that ultimately led to the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. I think this is what is happening to the church today. We have put aside the helmet of salvation. We give in to the lies and deceptions of the devil, and we see those people over there whether it's people of another political party, whether it's people of another religion, whether it's people who have different morals or values, or they dress differently, or they talk differently than us. And we give in to the accusation, the satanic accusations of condemning them and accusing them, saying those people are under the judgment of God. We are, when we do that, we are putting aside our helmet, and we are giving in to the lies and deceptions of the devil. So let us put this helmet back on. Let us not fall and crumble the way the Roman Empire did because the soldiers put aside their helmet. Let us keep our helmet on. Let us maintain unity, love, and forgiveness in the church with how we treat other people, how we think about other people, how we view other people, speak about other people, even the things we hear about other people. And in that way, we will create peace amongst ourselves. And this will be the salvation that Paul talks about throughout his letter of Ephesians. So wear the helmet of salvation, all right? Watch what you say and watch what you think about other people. Make sure you view other people through the eyes of Jesus Christ as people of insurpassable worth. Speak to other people or about other people with words of love, grace, compassion, and forgiveness. And in this way, We will be wearing the helmet of salvation, and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of peace and love, will live and thrive and grow upon this earth in our midst and through our actions. That is the helmet of salvation. Next time, we'll be looking at the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we will see what that means and what that is in the next lesson. Join us then. So look, I hope you enjoyed that lesson on the Helmet of Salvation and allowed you to see salvation itself in a completely brand new light, maybe in a way that you'd never thought of before in any of your studies or reading or or, um, teaching. Now, if that's challenging to you, look, think on it. Study it some more. It took me a long time to come to this realization about salvation, uh, but there's lots of studies to back it up, and I'm writing some of those myself. If you do want to learn more about this, Look, there's so many ways you can do that. Just go to my website, redeeminggod.com, and browse some of the articles there. Search. There's a little search feature at the bottom. You can find that article I mentioned earlier, Saved, the most misunderstood word in the Bible. Uh, But if you really want the full effect, I encourage you to either uh, do one of two things. Get my free discipleship emails. I will be talking more about salvation in those emails eventually. Uh, the, the emails start off with some simple, basic truths, and then they will get more deep and more um, involved the further along we go. That's sort of the freeway. Uh, and a lot of those resources, though, are pulled and drawn from my discipleship group, which gives you the full experience. You get access to over $1,000 worth of courses. You get free eBooks and all sorts of things uh, available to you through the discipleship group. Anyway, you can learn more about that, the discipleship group, by visiting redeeminggod.com join. All right, the price is there. There is a fee, uh, but that just helps cover my cost. And it's, it's uh, your way of also saying thank you for the resources and tools that I, I make available to you. Anyway, thank you so much for joining me today for this uh, podcast study live. 
And um, I, I want to also uh, invite you to join us next week, this next study where we look at the final piece of the armor of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, and we will discover what that means. Also a discussion there of what the Word of God is. There's a little bit of debate on that in Christianity today, so I will be giving you my opinion on that. Okay? Hey, thank you so much, and join us next week when we look at the second half of Ephesians 6.17 and the sword of the Spirit. See you then. Bye.